Chapter 21 They sailed out in shame, they returned in fame. Wednesday, 5 August, off the coast of Virginia. The quartermaster of the bridge sounded the word for all hands not actually on watch, and those who could be spared to stand the quarters around the weather decks, port, and starboard, fore and aft, to receive honors. 1500. A destroyer that was patrolling off the coast of Virginia anchored at a spot that intersected with the card's trajectory and waited for it to pass by. As the card neared the position, a submarine surfaced and waited in standby position. Both vessels assembled an honor guard on the main deck. The 383 passed between them at 10 knots. As the card came abreast of the honor guard, those standing to quarters presented a right-hand salute. As the quartermaster dipped the ensign, the crew of the card did not return the hand salute, but the ensign was dipped in response. Each ship also sounded their horn in passing. A fitful show of respect for a ship and a crew that had endured so much. A strange event, to be sure, for an organization whose just six months before was a laughing stock of warships everywhere. 1600. The captain appeared on the bridge. He looked alert, calm, and clean-shaven. Dressed in a fresh, starched white uniform, his cap tilted back slightly on his head, the officer's crest was polished to a bright sheen. There was no trace of the agony that he must be enduring. 1800. Lieutenant Winthrop walked across the tilting deck and rested his hands against the rail, feeling the ship moving beneath him like a living creature. His thoughts were visiting the recent past, the time before Captain Mills came aboard. 1813. Lieutenant Commander McCormick passed through the hatch that led from officer country to the old one weather deck. He clasped his hands behind him and slowly walked along the rough, non-skid coating of the steel deck, letting the sun and the wind play with his shirt and his hat. He glanced up to the O2 level where Mr. Winthrop was looking down. The faraway look in Mr. Winthrop's eyes gave evidence that he was oblivious to the officer below. Mr. McCormick climbed the ladder and joined the navigator. Several seconds went by before Mr. Winthrop realized that he had company. Oh, sorry, Mike, I was adrift there for a minute. I was thinking about the day the captain plastered the ship's motto on the bulkhead of the mess decks and on the wardroom. Who would have thought that at that time we would be standing here now, having not only made it through Gitmo and qualified, but defeated the Amberjack, sank the Redfin, and engaged in an enemy combat and prevailed. They were both unaware of the pitch of the ship with the forward and aft, up and down, rocking motion, spraying white foam from the forward wedge of the stem. We were caught in a mindset that had us trapped, Mr. Winthrop added. Then along came Commander Mills. He had a manner that at first seemed easygoing, even casual. It took us a while, as we all doubted his ability. We mistook his easygoing manner as weakness, but one thing we could not dismiss was his tenacity, his fog-bank forcefulness. He set into motion and mechanisms that made us take actions that exposed not only our mental set, but our competence. Staring off into the distance, as if looking into the past, Mr. Winthrop continued, I've had plenty of time to think about the events that occurred over the past six months, Mike. And I've learned more of these six months about management and executive leadership than the entire time I was in the academy. You know the most difficult aspect of his style? 
in turning this ship around was to turn us around. But unlike the other skippers, he's not one of those guys who leads by example. He made it possible for us to be our own example. He didn't make us do it his way. He made us do it our way. But he made us do it. And he set a clear course. He gave us a chart and rules for performance. Mr. McCormick interrupted. He not only gave us a plan, he implemented the reporting procedures that not only established accountability, but allowed us to see our progress and gave us evidence of our accomplishments. And his relentless pressure for performance reporting, continued Winthrop, he required us to come up with terms that we had to do. He made it possible for us to do things, but to do them our way, not his way. He realized that the problem we were experiencing was not incompetence. I agree, John. The problem was not that we were incapable of using our own management and leadership skills to bring the ship to the station. It was our mindset. Every member of this crew, officer and enlisted, brought us to the point that it was our way that brought us through. Pounding and bounding over the main, steadily due north, her weight churning up a white cream colored astern. Every hour put the past four days behind them. Every turn of the screws carried them nearer to home. They felt a closer kindred to the ship they had ever felt before. They felt her pain. She was showing signs of a difficult few days. There were visible signs of wear and survival, like those who served on her. Every member of the Card's family felt as if she was glad to leave us all behind and go home. Thursday, 6 August 1970, early morning, USS Card entering the Chesapeake Bay. As the USS Card entered the Chesapeake Bay, all hands realized that this was not the same ship and crew that began the journey when Robert Mills took command. Oh, they were different now. 0800. The Card and her crew were nearing the channel that would lead them into Curtis Bay and home. Mr. Winthrop studied his charts and provided Lieutenant Gruval with the coordinates that she would need to guide them in. He felt a cause of satisfaction for the Card's performance and a sense of pride he once thought he would never, ever experience aboard this ship. The sun beat down on the little vessel. The sky was clear and pale blue, and the ship guided softly on the gentle current. Every sailor that could be spared was topside to see the pier that had been their home port for so long. They would have a clear view of it when they rounded then. A rousing cheer went up from every soul when the pier came in sight. There was a shudder from the ship itself, as if she too were cheering with her crew. The cheering grew louder when they realized what awaited them at the spot they were to moor. Bridge. Bridge engine room, this is Mr. Falk. What's going on up there? Mr. Winthrop keyed the toggle to the engine room and simultaneously the shipwide intercom. This is Mr. Winthrop. There is a crowd of people standing on the pier. They stretch from the pier to the parking lot. They're holding banners and cheering. All personnel who are not absolutely essential to the docking of this ship are permitted on deck. Realizing he had not received permission from the captain, he turned to see if his approval would be granted retroactively from the old man. A smile, a nod of the head, a wink provided the answer. To those who served recently on other ships would not normally be a big deal. There was usually a reception committee waiting for ships of the line to return home. But this was not a gallant ship of the line as the others were. This was a reserve ship stationed at a Coast Guard base. This was the card. This was not normal. But then again, 
Nothing that happened to the card in the past eight months was normal. As the ship moved in closer, one could recognize their family members smiling and holding banners that displayed Way to Go card. Our heroes of the USS card, Welcome Home USS card, and other large banners that said Seek, Strike, Prevail. There were banners heralding the heroism of the dead and the wounded. Many banners displayed the names of those who suffered death and injuries. There was Candy Gilliam and her boys standing with Mrs. Sharon Alexander-to-be. There was Rex Sterling, all smiles, standing head and shoulders above everybody else. There were wives and children and mothers and fathers of the other sailors. There were news vans and reporters from the newspapers, radio, and television. There were Mr. and Mrs. Benson. There were two flag-draped hearses. There were two ambulances. There were the Smidlaps, accompanied by Uncle Billy Ledbetter. Uncle Billy insisted to take his nephew home in the bed of his truck, draped with a flag. There were high-ranking naval officers standing near the line handlers. The Naval Academy had sent their choir and the Academy band. All around, people were embracing each other and hugging and kissing and laughing and shouting. Many of the crew remembered Mr. Gilliam's prophetic words uttered during the drill weekend of March the 1st. I am proud to have the opportunity to serve on the card. Can I be proud to serve with her crew? I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I will give this old girl my best efforts in attempt to give her a proud reputation. If you will do the same, we may go to Gitmo in disgrace, but we will return in glory. Command Axiom. It is in turbulent times when personal integrity and commitment to vows of loyalty are tested. It is through turbulent times that relationships are cemented or destroyed, whether in life, in marriage, or in an organizational experience. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Galatians 6.9 That concludes this book, The Stewardship of Command, Managing in Turbulent Times. I hope you enjoyed it. Good day.